0: Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE.
1: Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, what is going on? Not much. Um, We took a
2: little bit of a hiatus with the podcast, but we are... Now ready to get rolling for 2023. So I'm excited to bring on our first guest of the year. We've got a series of guests coming in the next few weeks that I'm that I'm excited to bring in. So, but this is this is gonna get
1: us going. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. It's back to business. I'm, I'm so glad that you are back behind the microphone, interviewing amazing people. Who did you bring in to interview today? So today we have with us Xander Snyder, who is the senior commercial real estate
2: economist uh, with First American. Hi Xander, welcome to the show.
0: Hi David. Hi Eric. Thanks for having me.
2: So you know, just to kick things off, if you want to take a minute to tell us about um, yourself and your role as as the as the senior commercial real estate economist at First American Financial Corp. and even maybe a little bit about the company before we kind of get into the meat of it.
0: Sure. Well, First American is a title insurance and closing services company for for real estate for both residential and commercial. I work on the econ team, on the economics team. So our job is essentially to analyze, monitor different trends in, in real estate. And for, in my case, commercial real estate, we build models meant to inform management internally. And we also publish content that folks on the outside of the company can consume as well and learn a little bit more about what's going on in real estate markets. As far as my background... Um, I have a mix of experience in finance, transaction finance, investment banking. I've invested in real estate for some time. Uh, I have a degree in economics from Cornell and a master's degree in data science from UC Berkeley. And uh, I've, I've had different roles in real estate over the years, including um, data scientists for different data-driven investment strategies. And uh, that's that's a little bit about me.
2: So in terms of being like a commercial real estate economist at a title insurance company, is that, is, are there any different things that you're looking at than if you were say with like a, you know, just with a real estate investment manager?
0: Well, that's a good question. I think the, the end goal is probably similar in that the folks that we're doing analysis for are essentially interested in better understanding the commercial real estate market. now. Title insurance is a different business than commercial real estate investment. So how that information and analysis is used by the end user may change. But ultimately, I would say that from an economics perspective, the the information that we're trying to distill would be fairly similar.
2: Got it. And what are some of the things that you have an eye on right now? I mean, we're in a period where uh, I think the last consensus I saw from Bloomberg, the Bloomberg Sentiment surveys said something about like 70% expect some kind are still expecting a recession. We're still inflation at an elevated level, although I think it started to come down and the pace in recent months has been pretty low. And then of course we have this monetary policy raising interest rates. So that creates this. I, I know from the transaction side, it's transaction volumes down. Everyone is trying to suss out what to do. So what 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 how do you, what is your take? What are you looking at? And 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 what do you have an eye on right now?
0: Sure. Well, clearly, eyes on Federal reserve and cost of capital interest rates and all of that good stuff. It seems like Powell is is communicating fairly strongly that their long-term goal remains that two percent inflation target. And we're still a good ways above that. So, you know, it seems reasonable to expect that interest rate hikes will continue until we get closer to that. Now, clearly we've gone down from these big 75 basis point increases to 25 in the most recent. So it seems likely that we will persist in an elevated interest rate environment for a good part of 2023. There are some folks beginning to, you know, forecast rate cuts towards the end of the year. And and I think that, I, you know, I can read the tea leaves anyone can read the tea leaves the same as I can there. And it's it's always hard to know exactly what's going to happen with interest rates. But in terms of how that impacts commercial real estate, I think you hit the nail on the head. Right now, transaction volumes are down. And a big part of that is because cost of capital has gone up. And this has driven a gap in price expectations between buyers and sellers at a very high level. And it varies by asset class. But certainly a lot of sellers had anchored their price expectations to values that they saw earlier in 2022. And some of those those prices are just not prices that buyers can pay right now, given the higher cost of capital. So the net result, if you can't agree on a price, is the deal doesn't get done. And that's one of the fundamental drivers of slower commercial real estate transaction volume right now.
2: Right, so I mean, buyers want to buy at twenty twenty three prices, and sellers want to sell at twenty twenty two prices.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right.
2: Do you see, you know, any different differentiation by property types in terms of you know what's going on right now?
0: Oh yeah, vastly. I, each asset class really has its own set of supply and demand fundamentals, and we can go through some of those. But you know, at a very high level, office is more concerning than some of the other ones for probably fairly obvious reasons although even within the office asset class there's differentiation between quality Class A Class B class C so that's the fact that office buildings remain so empty I think the latest castle physical occupancy rate was still sub fifty percent hot forty six ish percent for the average of the ten cities that they cover so that implies that even though now we're what are we, three years after the onset of the pandemic, essentially? And while a lot of foot traffic trends towards locations like experiential retail locations or restaurant and dining, a lot of a lot of that foot traffic's back up. Mm-hmm. But it's not really for office yet. So it seems like this hybrid work, remote work reality is going to continue to persist to at least some degree. You know, how that shifts if there is a recession. And if the labor market softens, it hasn't yet. That could clearly change. But I think on a fundamental level, the remote work technology is out of the box, so to speak, and there's no putting it back in. So I think that's that's office is certainly worth talking about. Multifamily and industrial are two other asset classes that are a little bit stronger, although there are some variations between them. Rent growth in multifamily is... Well, rent growth in all asset classes really is slowing, but it has slowed substantially in multifamily vacancy is expected to increase a little bit as, as um and there are different reasons for that but i think the fundamentals for multifamily remain fairly strong even there are there are some short term signs of softening and i i'd probably say something similar for industrial although we can get into the details if if you'd like
2: yeah so i mean it just seems from 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 my seat you know similar observations that for the most part office as you laid out just has has these enduring question marks just because of the persistence of of hybrid but um fundamentals generally seem pretty okay in some of the other sectors and i think i've pointed to the strength and the long-term strength in, in multifamily and industrial I, I i just think it's like interesting to me you know having gone through a few different cycles that that commercial real estate sits it feels like it's in a very different place today than say like in the great financial crisis, like when some of the, some of the, the risks, you know, some of the, some of the issues that were on the balance sheets and also just some of the fundamentals were, I think got, got a little choppy there. Whereas I feel like right now, fundamentally in a lot of places, things still seem pretty decent.
0: Yeah, I, am inclined to agree with that. And of course that changes locally by geography Mm -hmm. But on a national level, looking at everything aggregated, I mean, you want to talk about multifamily a little bit more and the household formation or renter household formation has slowed lately. So that's, that's sapping a little bit of the demand that we saw for apartment buildings. But in the long run, the there, it it, renter household formation is expected to pick back up. And I think that this will, I've done some analysis recently, and we just published this article on the First American Econ blog. But if you look at some of the estimates for the current national housing shortage, and that includes Mm -hmm. homes and apartment buildings. They work out to between about four to five and a half million units nationally. And there is a record number, there is a record amount of apartment buildings currently under construction. I think there's about 925,000 seasonally seasonally adjusted and annualized. So a lot of folks look at that supply and say, well, that's going to be a lot more downward pressure on rent growth. Is this a bad sign for multifamily? And I I think that the upcoming deliveries will provide rent relief for a lot of renters, but 925,000 units is still less than several million. So even if all of that supply were delivered tomorrow, ready to lease, there'd still be a housing shortage on the order of millions of units. So I think in the long term, that provides a bit of a floor for multifamily. And though you will see vacancy tick up as folks attempt to save some money, and live with roommates more. You know, some of those forecasts for vacancies and the, the average national vacancy rate over the next several years is kind of like high single digits. And I've seen plenty of multifamily deals underwritten conservatively with, you know, seven, 8% vacancy assumptions. So that certainly doesn't seem like the end of the world to me.
2: And then does that also take into consideration like the whole single-family rental market as well? And the the numbers that you're talking about in terms of deliveries, is that just multifamily or is that also the single-family rental market too? The the 925,000
0: units that I mentioned is just apartments. And the total number of housing units, if you include both single-family home rentals and single-family homes meant to be purchased, it's a little closer to about 1.7 million right now, annually, uh, nationally. So 4 million minus 1.7 million. Even if you factor in all of those single family homes meant to rent and meant to purchase, there's still a bit of a housing shortage. We're just structurally underbuilt by over a decade.
2: What about, and you mentioned also just some of the, the questions on the industrial sector and some of the fundamentals there. I mean, that seems like logistics is just such a key part of the modern economy. Um, it's been a a sector that's been near the, you know, along with multifamily, like I feel like it's in the top two property types for as many years as I can remember now, just in terms of just being a very attractive place to be. And even with a think there's a lot of focus on Amazon and what, you know, the fact that they wanted to slow down a little bit, but it just seems overall, it's, it's still a very, very good sector.
0: Yeah, I think net net the the fundamentals are still fairly strong in industrial. So, as an example, you can the, there's an incredible also an incredible amount of supply coming online for industrial. I think there's about 700 million square feet of industrial under construction nationally. And again, that sounds like a lot. Now, if you take and I, and I kind of like these analyses where you take the worst case situation and you say, what does that mean in terms of some familiar metric? So we did that with uh, multifamily and the housing shortage. Now, let's think about it in terms of industrial. If all of that 700 million square feet of under construction supply were to come to market tomorrow, it, it, it would work out to about a seven and a half ish percent national vacancy rate for industrial. Now- clearly not all of that supply is going to be unleashed and empty. So 7.5% is higher than what it is right now, but it is not by any means a number that has caused distress for industrial in the past when it's hit vacancy rates nationally of 7%. So I think there is strong demand from all the usual suspects like e-commerce, but even brick and mortar stores that they need modern logistical And distributional capabilities as well. It's not just an online, it is just, it's not just an e commerce retailer's need. It is in every retailer's need. So I I don't imagine that demand shifting anytime soon. And it doesn't seem like the upcoming supply, though a new record in terms of under construction Mm -hmm. supply, it doesn't seem like the, it doesn't seem like that will outpace the current demand.
2: Are there any kind of oddball metrics that you look at in term when you're just assessing the picture I mean we, you know we're we're, trying to, we're talking about sort of the core stuff here looking at just development pipelines and leasing volumes and rents and that kind of stuff but is there any sort of things that you look at that people might not expect when you're trying to gauge what's happening
0: a metric that we've We've published recently and talked about some has to do with debt maturities. So a little less common than headline, but certainly something that folks follow. And there's a lot more data available for certain types of commercial real estate debt. So, for example, commercial mortgage backed security CMBS. There's just more data available for that right. than a lot of private CRE loans. So we can look at CMBS. Secu- uh, we can look at CMBS and get a sense for how the broader debt markets are functioning, and. Just as an an example, over the last several months, CMBS originations for all asset classes have dried up. So that's a measure of demand that you can get a sense of things are slowing down and that matches the decline in transaction volumes that we talked about a moment ago. Looking into the future, you can look at CMBS maturities and get a sense for how much debt's coming due and therefore the scale of the refinancing risk for different asset classes. And this is perhaps clearly more an issue for office than other asset classes because they are more empty and therefore generating less cash flow than they were pre-pandemic. So if you look at total CMBS maturities over the next two years, relative to CMBS debt outstanding for office, it works out to just south of 20%. So about 17-ish percent of of office CMBS debt is maturing in the next two years, which is the, the largest for all asset classes. That that raises the question of if an office building with debt outstanding, that debt comes due and the building's half empty, what is that office owner going to do? Will, will it be an amend and extend situation? Will the debt be restructured? But I, I think that debt maturities will give some sense of the relative scale of the risk that we encounter or the risk for distress in office in the years to come.
2: Yeah, that will be an interesting one to watch. Um, i feel like i've seen a lot of mention recently I, i've gotten a lot of releases about new debt funds being um raised with very specific strategies and i, I wonder if which I, which i found interesting just given where we're on the market but it also does seem like you know if assets are being revalued and also lenders are be are going to be a little more conservative about perhaps how much leverage they, they might be going to offer that maybe creates an opportunity for all these debt funds to come in and play a role
0: I generally agree with that. I, I think if you look at the fourth quarter credit generally, not just CMBS, but the, there are different measures of of credit availability. Uh, CRE credit has become scarcer. Banks are pulling back. Lending standards are increasing a little bit, and that that opens the opportunity for these alternate funds, you know, including private debt funds and mortgage REITs, to step in and say, Ah, okay, you have a construction loan coming due, and no one else wants to lend it. you. We uh, lend to you. We will. Maybe it'll be twelve percent, but mm-hmm. you'll at least be able to service the debt, and you'll get it refinanced. And it'll be maybe it'll be another temporary loan that lasts a year or two until you can refinance when you're more fully occupied. So I, I have seen stuff like that. I've if you listen to the recent earnings transcripts for certain mortgage REITs, some of mm-hmm. the some management of those funds are saying we have more volume right now than we know what to do with, and I think part of the reason is because of the dynamic you just described.
2: Yeah, it's gonna be an interesting one to watch. And I'm just curious too about like for investors, I guess that, that if you can look at, you know, commercial real estate and be able to think about public public real estate, public debt, private real estate, private debt, it's just you know, like that overall matrix. I guess it seems like the the private debt maybe is a is is a way to is a way to go right now.
0: Uh, sorry, could you repeat that and private debt's the way to go in terms of what?
2: Or just like or maybe not the way. Like just is a if you're as an investor with the options of of the overall matrix of commercial real estate and being able to in, invest in public equities or public debt or private equity or private debt it's, it seems like that there's just a little bit of a little bit of attention now on this private debt piece as part of that overall matrix.
0: I think that's probably right. And I, I think that anytime you have credit becoming scarcer, you see a lot of the things that we're seeing right now in terms of falling transaction volume. And that that opens opportunities for alternate lenders until pricing disparities become less profound and valuations are more broadly agreed upon. I think at that point, you will see transaction volume begin to pick up and then you'll have banks step back in because you know the whole investment strategy for a bank is don't lose any money. Mm-hmm. So it's that's it's harder to do if you don't know what a building's worth and your loan in your lending against it. So I I do think that banks will probably step back into the fray once that gap in price expectations shrinks a little bit.
2: Are there any other kind of areas that you're looking at that we haven't talked about?
0: I think that retail's interesting. At the very beginning of the pandemic a lot of folks said, you know, retail's going to get hit hardest because we're not going to be able to go out and buy stuff. And in terms of delinquency rates right now, within CMBS debt, and I'll, I'll clarify, it's not all debt, but within CMBS, retail's the highest. I think the last time I looked, about 6% of outstanding CMBS debt was delinquent. So that's actually current distress. Now, there are different long-term trends in retail that I, I, I think are causing that, the shift towards e-commerce as an example. But some experiential retail has actually proved fairly resilient. And another interesting trend on sort of the underlying fundamental side of retail is construction. New construction for retail is much lower than for other asset classes. So actually, there's been more demolitions and conversions to other asset classes. So this has actually put a bit of a floor on some of on retail prices. I think in the future, uh, experiential retail locations will continue to attract people, uh, just because you can't substitute going to a restaurant by ordering something on Amazon and. I think I think that that will provide a little bit of resilience, but in terms of the distress in the future, it seems like Office is facing a little bit of a bigger problem. If you don't look at if you look not at delinquency rates right now, but at the proportion of CMBS loans that are under a debt service coverage ratio of one, which just means they're not meeting their debt service obligations on a regular basis it's much larger for office than for retail i'd have to pull up the the math to actually figure out to, to re- recall what that number is but that is a leading indicator that there is more likely distress to come in the office side than than in retail a lot of the stress in retail is kind of already baked in and being materialized so that's something else worth keeping your eye on
2: yeah yeah it just you know, it seems like retail like you know had. Years-long reckoning, and I th- but I think in the past couple of years, at least last year, I can't remember if it's two years, but at least last year, I know that net store openings succeeded store closings for the by a decent amount, which was a positive sign. And I think there's also there's been a lot of creativity, like you've talked about it both in repositioning assets, perhaps as other uses, but even within you know bringing in more medical retail or other kinds of other kinds of tenants that perhaps we didn't used to see in retail settings that now are there because the locations are still good. So you still have a good location, real estate, maybe the retail landscape has changed, but there's something you can do with it. And I think, I think we've, it feels like we're kind of, you know, after, after having a bit of a, of a rush stretch that retail is not so bad anymore.
0: I think that's probably right. It, an, an interesting point about conversions, just because that that came up in the conversation, coming back to office for a moment, a lot of folks right. will look at office and and you know it is now becoming trendy to discuss these office to other conversions be it hotel or apartment and i i came across a report recently i think nationally right now there's there's under 40 office to apartment conversions going on it's like 35 total projects it's not a huge number and the challenge there is the total cost required to convert office buildings into Residential buildings are often just prohibitive. I mean, you got to th- imagine just structurally, an office building has maybe one, two, three bathrooms per floor. And if you're converting that, all of a sudden you need a bath one or more bathrooms per apartment buildings. You need to put up walls. There are oftentimes local regulations in terms of a bedroom requiring a window in order to count as a bedroom. So, there's a lot of work that needs to go into actually refitting, especially older office buildings that may be better candidates for conversions, like class B, class B, or class B, class C office buildings. And I I think that's part of the reason you're just not seeing that happen too often. Now, there there has been a fund raised recently. I think it was Silverstein Group raised a billion and a half dollars just to focus on office to apartment conversion. So, those opportunities will be there. I think investors will find office buildings at steep enough discounts to make that to make those investments pencil out but in terms of providing market level relief of more supply for apartment i i don't see that penciling out right now i don't think you're going to have uh, a huge trend towards new supply of apartments coming from office conversions
2: all right well i think i've taken up a a, a good amount of your time so um i appreciate you coming on the podcast I cast and I no, no. know if there's any kind of closing thoughts you might want to leave with our audience before we wrap it up.
0: Sure. Well, first off, thanks for having me. I'll say that First American, uh, the Econ Group, and I publish pretty regularly on our social media accounts, So you can follow me at XanderSnyderX on Twitter or XanderSnyder on LinkedIn. I'd say for just general thoughts on the commercial market in 2023, try to differentiate between short-term, tra- short-term trends and long-term trends because the cost of capital can shake a lot of things up in the short term. And that's part of the reason we discuss why transaction volume has fallen. Now, even in downturns, if there is, if there is a recession that materializes at some point, the recession will end and we'll want to have an understanding of how different asset classes are positioned to perform in that environment. And I think thinking just forward that far, the fundamentals are really helpful. So coming back to the supply and demand aspects for each asset class will give some sense of how these assets are going to perform after transaction volume picks back up when interest rates do stabilize.
2: It's definitely good stuff for the audience to chew on. We will put also in our show notes, like all those links to your site and social handles. We'll make sure we have that there so folks can just grab that right from the show notes. Um, Beautiful. But yeah, so thanks again for for coming on. Thanks, David and Eric, for having me.
1: This has been fantastic, David. Welcome back, man. Thank you for bringing on another great guest. Um, you did a great job. Um, if, if people want to see more of your articles and see what you're doing, David, where do they reach you?
2: Uh, we we're working at you know, wealthmanagement.com slash WMRE. And you can find all of their past episodes there as well as our just regular real estate content.
1: Fantastic. All right. Again, both of you, thank you so much. And of course, our last thank you goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at WMRE, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. And we'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.